Thanks, Tony. At least you refer to me as a retired elder, not an axe elder. When I hear, when I hear that word axe, I think of the Monty Python dead parrot sketch. If you haven't seen it, uh, Google it. Thanks for the opportunity to uh, bring this uh, short message uh, to you this morning on prayer. Uh, when the theme was uh, broached to me, I went back to Valerie Murphy, our prayer secretary, for her thoughts on it. It was she who suggested this short series and asked her what we should emphasize. Um, and she said that the aim of the series was not to burden people with guilt about their prayer life, because that's frankly how I very often react when I hear people talking about prayer. I think, oh, I have an awful prayer life. It's just not up to it. But that's not the purpose of these sessions. Rather, we're here to encourage you to understand the sheer privilege that prayer brings and the length that God has gone to make this possible. Let's turn to God's Word, uh, Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 14. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And then chapter 5, verse 7. Chapter 5, verse 7. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal life for all who obey him and was destined by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. In April 1970, the Apollo 13 space mission was launched. Its objective was to get to the moon and to land its three two of its three astronauts on the surface. This would have been the third uh, moon landing that the Americans had completed. There's a film made about this, and some of you may be familiar with the story. 56 hours into its mission, those famous words were heard at the headquarters in Houston. Houston, we have a problem. There had been an explosion on board which ended any possibility of the mission being successfully completed, but much worse, it put the crew at great risk. The three crew members crawled into the tiny module that was meant to have landed on the moon. It was only designed for two of them, and there was very little oxygen, water, or anything left. There appeared to be no way back and unless NASA and the crew could come up with some miraculous solution, it looked like the three men would suffer a, low, a slow, lingering death as their module circled the moon. The plight of the three men and the failed mission caught the attention of America and the whole world. Across America and much of the free world, people started praying for the safe return of the crew. At the highest level of U.S. government, the, pre the president announced a day of prayer. The U.S. Senate press uh, processed a, a resolution urging prayers, 
And across America and Europe and beyond, millions joined prayer meetings for the safe return of the mission. The New York Times reported that special prayer meetings were being held in every aspect of society, in schools and business and public places. Four days later, millions watched the safe return of the three astronauts. One of the senior NASA officials who led the rescue reflected on it and said, the entire rescue mission was a perfect example of how effort combined with prayer leads to success. Philip Yancey in his book, Prayer, and I've drawn heavily on that book in preparation today, makes the point that almost all civilizations and faiths have some form of prayer. And my first point, I have three points this morning. The first point is that prayer is universal. It reflects the, the innermost recognition that there is a higher form of existence, higher than our own existence. And prayer is universal because it speaks to some basic human need to go beyond ourselves. The human race, uh, Philip Yancey says, in times of trouble cries out to a, a higher authority. It's in our, our DNA. So for the Christian, uh, what is prayer? Well, there are many definitions, but the simplest one is it's talking to God. Prayer is not mere meditation or passive reflection. It's being directly directed to God. It's a communication of the human soul with the Lord who created that soul. And prayer is the primary way for the believer in Jesus Christ to communicate his or her emotions and desires with God and have fellowship with God. It's a priceless point of contact with the God who created this universe. It's an amazing claim that we, we have this ability to, to talk directly to God. Out of the billions of planets and stars in our universe, and the billions of people on earth, yet we can communicate with the director the creator of that universe. We have a direct line of communication with Him. It's not a one-way communication system. Prayer, it's a means of making our thoughts known to God and of Him speaking to us. It's a two-way process. How do we know God cares or listens? Well, to answer that, we must turn to our Bibles, and we read from Paul's letter to Hebrews this morning. And from those readings and others we'll refer to later, we can see that God, the whole of the Trinity, is waiting to respond to our prayers. God the Father invites us to His throne and promises to meet us with grace and mercy and love. Jesus the Son intercedes for us and, our, and is our great high priest because He's been there. He's lived the lives that we are living, though He lived His without son. And the Holy Spirit who helps us pray in the will of the Father when we don't know what to ask for. Prayer was vital to Jesus. The Gospels um, provide at least a dozen specific examples of Jesus praying to His heavenly Father. Where did He pray? Well, He prayed in the synagogue. He prayed in private. He prayed in public, and He, he prayed with His disciples. And he taught his disciples to pray because it was important. We read in Matthew's gospel, I think it is, where one of his disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. And we have from that the Lord's prayer. Like most of us, Jesus 
prayed in times of trouble. As his death through crucifixion approached, his prayers displayed his inner turmoil. Uh, we read the account where he prays to his father, Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Christ was praying on the Mount of Olives. He knew his death was coming. It, it, it wasn't going to be a quick death. It was going to be a horrible death. But worse than that, the judgment of God for our sin was going to be laid upon him. And he prayed that God would take that cup from him. But nonetheless, whatever is in your will. And it wasn't in God's will to take that cup from him. And it is because we are because he went through with his sacrificial death that we can be here this morning and have the way opened up for us to communicate to God. The second point, uh, so that first point was that prayer is a universal human behavior. But as a behavior, it's not open to everyone to have that direct line to God. It's a privilege we have through our salvation in Jesus Christ. Prayer, the second point, is, is not a privilege, sorry, prayer is a privilege, it's not a duty. In the book by Philip Yancey that I mentioned earlier, he makes a statement that we should see prayer as a privilege rather than some ceremonial duty that we go through to become good Christians. Commune, commune, communication with God is, is part of being human. The, the early chapters of Genesis describe the process of creation, but also the relationship that God had with his creation. And we read of God walking in the Garden of Eden and talking to Adam and Eve. I have that picture that God the Creator looked on what he had created and, and it was good. And he created uh, the human race, Adam and Eve, and that was good too. And he'd given them a soul. They were different from the other animals. They had the ability to think and respond and be emotional and communicate and talk with God. And he used to do that with them. But the fall destroyed that intimate relationship and the possibility of it being restored only came about through the sacrificial death of God's Son, Jesus Christ. Now, there were interim arrangements through the tabernacle and the temple that are related in the Old Testament, whereby the system and the system of sacrifices whereby uh, people were able to communicate with God to confess their sin and seek His will but they did not provide for the intimate personal relationship that you and I can have with our Savior. As Christians, it's vital that we, we grow in our faith. Becoming a Christian is not the, the be-all and end-all. It's the beginning of a spiritual journey. And if we read uh, some verses, we can see uh, how uh, prayer is a vital part of that journey. Romans chapter 8 says, The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Indeed, if we share in His suffering in order that we may also share in His glory. And it makes it clear that through salvation in Jesus Christ, we are the children of God. We have this special relationship with the Heavenly Father. I said earlier that our, our definition of prayer is not just passive meditation or reflection. Rather, it is a communication directed to a person through to God. And prayer is that primary 
although not the only way for followers to communicate our feelings, our needs, our desires, and that necessity to have fellowship with God. So I'm not suggesting that there's no place for meditation in our spiritual lives. Reading the Bible, meditating on it is an important part of sustaining and growing as Christians, and meditating on His Word is part of that process, and God will speak to us through His Word. But prayer and reading the Bible very often go hand in hand, but uh, meditation in itself is not a substitution for prayer. Francis Collins, uh, the uh, leader of the Human Genome Project, uh, has written a book called The Language of God, and it describes how he came to faith, traveling from being a convinced atheist to a born-again believer. He, realize, he realizes how he came to uh, acknowledge the importance of prayer in his walk with God as a Christian. And he said, I find an increasing longing to communicate with him. I began to realize that this is what prayer is about. Prayer is not an opportunity to manipulate God into doing what we want him to do. Prayer instead is our way of seeking fellowship with God, learning about him, and attempting to perceive his perspective on the many issues around us that causes puzzlement or wonder or distress. I think there's a very profound truth there. Very often we, we pray for solutions. We bring our needs, our trials, and all of those problems to God, and we kind of got a solution, and we're saying to God, get me that solution. But I think what, this, uh, what Francis Collins is saying, it, it's much, much more than that. It's an attempt, our prayer is an attempt to see God's perspective on the many issues that are impacting on us. And C.S. Lewis illustrated a profound insight when he said, I pray because I can't help myself. I pray because the need flows out of me all the time, waking and sleeping. It doesn't change God. That is, my prayer doesn't change God. It changes me. Prayer is that two-way conversation with God. God has made it easy for us to access prayer. He doesn't insist that we go through rituals to access His presence. We don't have to go, as some other religions do, to, to go through special ceremonies. He's waiting for us to pray. We come with reverence and respect when we pray, a welcome that is always open. The third prayer is, a third point I want to make this morning is that Prayer is essential if we are to fulfill, have fulfilling lives that bring glory to God. Jim last week spoke about prayer as well, and uh, his po second point was that prayer brings us into the presence of God. And let's see what the Scriptures say about that, about prayer. Ephesians chapter 6 says, on prayer in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of sorry, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayer and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all of God's people. First Thessalonians says, pray continually. James 5 says, is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Romans 12 says, be joyful in hope, patience in affliction, and faithful in prayer. My final quote from Philippians chapter 4, be anxious about, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to 
God. We can see from God's Word that prayer fulfills a number of purposes. Firstly, it's a means of worshiping God and acknowledging Him as sovereign in our lives. So that prayer is not simply a number of needs and petitions to God, please give me, give me, give me. Prayer should be a means of acknowledging Him. And in the Lord's Prayer, it opens with that Jesus taught to His disciples, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name, giving praise and acknowledging God as the sovereign God. Prayer is also important uh, means for us to give thanks for His gift of salvation and, and His atoning work in our lives. If you've been to the communion service before this one, you recognize that every Sunday we're drawn by a sense of wonder and thanksgiving when we reflect and contemplate on the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we give Him thanks for His salvation and His atoning work on the cross. Thirdly, sin uh, prayer can be an important method of uh, means of us repenting of our sins and asking for God's forgiveness. Now, you say, but wh why do Christians need to repent of their sins? I mean, when I got saved, I, I, I repented of my sins, and, and, and I'm forgiven, and God said He won't remember my sins anymore. They were all dealt with at Calvary. Why do I need to uh, confess my sins to God in prayer? Well, as Christians, sin can act as a barrier in our relationship with God. And in asking for His forgiveness, we are acknowledging A, there's sin in our lives, and B, asking Him to help uh, master that sin, to live lives that will bring glory to Him. And fourthly, petitioning God, asking God for our needs. The, many of the examples I've read are very clear about that. Don't be anxious about anything. Bring your requests to God. And by petitioning God, we've said earlier that the point is not to present a long list of demands to God, but we are invited to bring our needs to Him. We have a loving Father who cares for our spiritual and physical welfare and is open at all times for us to bring those needs to Him. We don't always ask what we get for. We don't always get what we ask for, but through prayer, we may be given the strength to deal with the issues we are facing. God may give us a fresh perspective on the need which provides an answer to the problem we may be facing. Every parent knows the issue when a child comes and says, I need, I need, I need. And very often through a conversation, yes, a real need may be identified, but in other times it can be turned and reflected back to the child. And I think God does a similar thing to us that uh, if He simply clicked His fingers and gave us everything we asked for, well, that, would be, that, that wouldn't be sustainable. But rather, He helps us reflect on what our needs are and helps us to see what the answers may be. And sometimes He does miraculously provide the answers. How do we pray? Uh, prayer times don't have to be formal. We have church prayer meetings. We have prayer in our services, and that's really important. But we don't have to, in coming to God in prayer, have a designated space or time. Praying continually, as Thessalonians says, it can be in work, in the kitchen, in the garden. Uh, but we need to do. We do need to make space for it in our busy lives. It's important to get some level of routine into our prayer lives so that it's not casual. And this great privilege we have to, of having to pray to the Creator, should not go 
relegated to a few snatched uh, moments when we are on the go. And you know, it, it is uh, difficult at times to switch off. I know when I come to prayer, my mind may be buzzing with many, many things, not necessarily crisis, but the day-to-day -day things of life. How do we calm down and flip that switch? The, the, the um, smartphone provides an endless flow of news and events and messages and family communications and trivia. And how do we, uh, how do we manage to get away from all of that and, and have time? Well, each of us will, will have our own method of doing that. One which was suggested to me and I find useful, and I hope I don't offend some traditional views in saying this, is when I come into God's presence to pray and my mind's really working over time, I recite the Lord's Prayer just as a means of knowing that it was His words, so that's great, just calming my uh, mind down before I come to petition Him or worship Him or give Him praise. There's a famous uh, picture of Richard Nixon, former president of the, 19, uh, of the USA in the 1970s. You can see I'm a 70s kid. Uh, and he's walking down a row of people shaking their hands. And the picture shows that as he's shaking his hands, he's actually looking at his watch. Uh, I'm sure if he'd ever stood for re-election, that picture would have done for him. Our prayer lives shouldn't be like that. Uh, we are busy and there are lots of things to do, but we really shouldn't be saying, let's get this prayer out of the way quickly so that I can get on with other things. So let's ensure our prayer doesn't, life doesn't become like a Richard Nixon handshake. Prayer can be communal, and we, we've witnessed that already uh, in both services this morning, and it's vital that as believers we have fellowship and a vibrant prayer life. Uh, and in coming together as believers, it promotes unity of purpose clarity and love, and we have the opportunity to share each other's burdens in the presence of the Lord. You'll come across, if you're looking, uh, studying at prayer, you'll come across a phrase, prayer warriors. And in this church, we have many, but I'm going to mention two. They have gone to be with the Lord, uh, so I'm not, gonna, I'm not going to embarrass anybody, but they were um, Jim Crooks. Now, not the guy who was here last week. He's still very much alive, but his dad, uh, Jim Crooks was an amazing man. He walked closely with the Lord, but he was a real prayer warrior. And the way he demonstrated that to me and to many other parents in this church was his love and concern for the children of this church. And when I met him most Sundays, he would say, I'm praying for your children. And Jim spent much of his life in prayer. And um, one of his sons was telling me uh, recently that even on his deathbed, he was praying because that's all he could do. The other prayer, prayer warrior was a gentleman called William Walker. Many of you will remember William and Maureen. Uh, William was a missionary in uh, North India, uh, worked there for many, many years, uh, saw very few come to faith, but actually uh, the Lord has since reaped massively in that part of India in more recent days. Uh, William had a magnificent way of praying. When he prayed, he used to sit over there. When he prayed during the morning meeting, our communion service, it was as if this wonderful odor of ointment was rising up to the Lord as he shared his love and worship for the Lord with us. Prayer warriors are important. We don't all have the opportunity to perhaps be that or do that, but we should value those who put prayer as a mission in their Christian witness. So we've seen this morning, coming to a conclusion, that prayer should 
play an important part in our Christian experience. Being a Christian is living and vital. It doesn't end with conversation, but rather the beginning of a new relationship. We've become adopted sons and daughters of God, and prayer becomes an essential means of developing that relationship. It's difficult, if not impossible, to grow relationships if there is no communication. And God has provided prayer as a means of growing our faith in Him. So just to recap, prayer is universal throughout human history. Humankind is that yearning to communicate. We have the massive privilege of communicating directly with our Creator through the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, it's a privilege that we should exercise rather than see it as a duty. Let's be excited and not guilty about prayer. And thirdly, that prayer is central to our existence and growth as Christians. Let's not neglect it, for it's a welcome from Him that is always waiting. Thank you. Thank you, David.